Hello and welcome to today's Here's to Your Health podcast. I'm Don Lensman, Executive Director of Marketing and Development at Crawford County Memorial Hospital. My guest on the podcast today is Angie Anderson. Angie is the Director of Information Technology Services here at CCMH. And Angie, thank you for joining me today. Okay, John. And we're going to talk a little bit uh, today about um, protected health information and uh, the reason why uh, we all need to work very diligently at making certain that, that our health information isn't being shared. And the, the reason that we're going to talk about this today, the other reason we're going to talk about today, because there have been a proliferation of commercials on TV that, that show people in differing situations and there's this voice from beyond that's telling them about all the different kinds of health care issues that they have. And so it gives rise to the concept that there are a lot of people out there today who probably are wondering, you know, how, how would someone actually get a hold of their, uh, get a hold of their um, private uh, health information? We want to talk about that a little bit, but we're going to start first of all with um, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, otherwise known as HIPAA. And I think a general question most people will ask is, well, I think all my healthcare information is protected by HIPAA, right? The majority of it is. It would be, um, you know, anything that can be used to um, individually identify you as a patient or any of your health information. Um, so that covers just a wider range of things. Um, basically, any of your personal information, any of your health information, is covered by HIPAA. And the and the key for most people to remember is that the only time health information gets shared within a healthcare situation is is only on a need-to-know basis. Right, yeah, we, we are very, very diligent, and as um, the healthcare industry is, um, about making sure that we protect the privacy of our patients. Um, and part of that is, is that, you know, we want to provide all of the information, all of your health information to the people that need to be involved in your care, and then um, you know, it doesn't go beyond that. It's um, very strict. We have very strict guidelines about who has access to patient information. Back in the days when we used pencil and paper, uh, it was it was pretty easy to protect healthcare information because we just simply put it into a file. But if people remember, um, it's not been all that long ago that you listened to the radio to to find out who had a baby, who got admitted, who got discharged, so on and so forth. I mean. I, for those of us who are a little older, <laughs> we remember listening to the hospital report every day. So I didn't know so-and-so was sick while they got out of the hospital today, right? So, okay. And so I think it's important for us to, to remember that HIPAA actually has been around since 1996, almost 30 years. So when Bill Clinton was president, that's when, that's when HIPAA uh, came into being. So maybe we can talk a little bit about how HIPAA actually does protect our uh, private healthcare information. Right, so it, it's the, it's a very, very vague regulation and pages, hundreds of thousands of pages of documentation on it. Um, but it takes kind of a multifaceted approach. So you have administrative safeguards that um, you know facilities and practitioners have to follow. That's like more of your policies and procedures about how you establish who gets access to patient information and what constitutes patient information. Um, and then you have your privacy um, regulations um, that kind of follow that. And then you have your physical and security type of um, parameters that are all encompassed under that one HIPAA Act. Um, 
and so that it, it really is kind of a, uh, a multifaceted uh, approach to making sure that we keep patient and, information safe. And when we talk about this, we're not talking just about Crawford County Memorial Hospital. We're talking about all healthcare providers. Yep, we're talking about healthcare and all healthcare providers. So, you know, it's not, it's become much more of a common thing that you'll, a common message that you'll hear um, out in the community because, you know, our dentist, dentist offices have to do it, our eye doctors have to do it. So, um, you know, we're not alone in this. It's, it's something that, uh, I guess the healthcare community as a whole has embraced. My guest on the podcast today is Angie Anderson. Angie is the Director of Information Technology Services here at CCMH. We're talking about uh, protecting private uh, health information and making certain that that doesn't make it into the public domain. Uh, so we talked about what some of the current rules are. Uh, there are some other things though that actually go on that, that kind of these technical safeguards that we can put into place. And this is where things get a little bit wonky. I mean, you have to understand a little bit about how all of this electronic stuff works. But I think from a technical perspective, that's really more what's up your alley as right. opposed to mine. Right, yep. So that's kind of where my main area focuses um, in my role here at CCMH. Um, so our team takes care of and examines um, you know, the security aspect mainly of the HIPAA regulations. So, you know, making sure that, um, you know, users have the appropriate credentials to access the patient information they need to, uh, in order to care for patients, um, but not more than that. Um, so, you know, we have different user roles based on what they do here at, at CCMH, and then we establish their um, access rights uh, depending on that and then you know it's up to us to um, make sure that we keep up with all of the changes and enforce new guidelines um, you know whether that be from an auditing perspective to um, you know look back and see who all has access to a patient's record or a patient's information to ensure that we're doing everything we can to um, protect that patient's privacy. I think it's also important for people to know that we we have other things that we actually use like pin numbers and encryption and mm -hmm. you know all these kinds of I mean you think about espionage and mm -hmm. all those kind of, I mean this is kind of spy level stuff but but it is utilized in order to be able to be able to make certain that people just simply can't uh, access information whether they're supposed to have it or not right it's you know it's become a much more complex um, to establish security um, and we have multiple layers of security so you know you have a, a username and password for instance but then you also have another um, token or uh, code that you'll have to enter in before you gain access to our systems or to patient information so it's become um, a multi-tiered or multi-level kind of approach to um, accessing records. Suffice it to say that's well beyond my knowledge and understanding, but I think it's extremely, if I don't understand it, it's gotta be pretty secure, that's all I can say. <laughs> so the, the only other thing that I wanna touch on before we move to another subject is the reason that we have continued to improve security, and every healthcare provider does this, you continue to improve security because of the increase in, in um, cyber attacks and ransomware and all the other things that are going on. And, and people have heard about this. It's happened in schools and it's happened in hospitals in other states and it, and it happens sometimes for businesses. 
but uh, you know, the, the big thing is for, for healthcare facilities, we really have to do our very best in order to be able to protect that information. That's absolutely right. I mean, you look at, you know, I've been here for 22 years and just the evolution of um, where we were at when I first started to where we're at now, everything is electronic. So if, if that is taken away, um, you know, it, it impacts us absolutely financially, but it impacts our patients the most because um, we don't have, we may, wouldn't have access to that critical information to be able to provide care at the bedside. Um, so, you know, it, it's a top priority for us um, as far as protecting that information. Um, and I think that, yeah, it, we're hearing maybe a lot more about healthcare um, being attacked by uh, cyber threats um, and ransomware. Uh, but I think maybe we're just catching up with some of the other industries that uh, were maybe more electronic a little earlier in life than what we've been. My guest on the podcast today is Angie Anderson. Angie is the Director of Information Technology Services here at CCMH. We're talking about protecting private uh, health information. And I, I want to switch gears just a little bit, Angie, and, and talk about what, what individuals can do to protect themselves and their own private uh, information. People live their lives, at least in my opinion, people live their lives much more publicly than they used to with things like Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram and so on and so forth. I think we, we can all think of instances where somebody posted something and when we saw what they had posted, we thought to ourselves, oh, I don't think you ought to be sharing that. So let's talk a little bit about what can individual patients do to make certain that they don't inadvertently release any of their protected health information. Right. You know, I think you just have to be vigilant. Um, you have to know who um, the businesses are that you interact with. You have to know the people that you normally interact with um, and kind of what their typical practices are. I mean, I, I would agree that now, um, you know, patients and, and users uh, receive a lot more um, electronically than they ever used to. So whether that's patient reminders, whether that's online surveys after you've had a service, um, you, patients are uh, more likely to get a lot more electronic um, inquiries. Uh, but you just need to be vigilant about who you are um, associated with and, and you know the bottom line is, is it, it is your information so if you choose to share your information that's up to you so if you want to share it on Facebook you know so be it but um, you know, just be vigilant about uh, what you put out there and um, what it's soliciting. You know, the other part of what's going on is where we talked about some of the cyber threats and cyber attacks and ransomware and things uh, for hospitals or other businesses. Individuals also are subject to these uh, s same kinds of attacks. I mean, so sp spoofing and phishing and smishing and all those other kinds of things that, that you hear about. But I, I think it's important for people to understand that just because you might get a phone call from a phone number or you get an email from somewhere or you get a text message, first of all, it doesn't mean you have to answer the phone, doesn't mean you have to answer the email, it doesn't mean you have to click on the links, you don't have to answer the text message. How do people protect themselves from, from these sorts of attacks? They look relatively innocent and they, they might start out that way, but that can turn into a nightmare. It sure can, um, and you know, they people have become very clever about how they disguise 
um, some of these uh, malicious, act, some of this malicious activity. Um, you know, so it may look legit, but <clears throat> you know, when you look closer, maybe there's just one character that's off about the email address or the website. Um, and you know, it can be easy to fall prey to that. Um, but again, I think, you know, just if you keep some simple things in mind, like if you've ever dealt with the company, um, if you've been expecting uh, something from the company, those sorts of things, just ask yourself a few questions before you click on the link within the email or before you reply yes to a text message. Um, you know, just, just be uh, vigilant about it. Because in every instance, what these people are after, they actually don't have the information, but they're going to create enough fear in, in, the, in this particular individual, um, patient or customer, however you want to talk about it, create the fear so that when they, when they act, they end up giving the information to the person. The, 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 the scammer didn't have it to begin with but created a situation that fear within an individual and then when they take action they end up giving up the information that this individual is after. I, I think that's one of the things that we really have to make sure we're paying attention to. Right, yeah, so I mean there are not very many, unless you're the person that's instigating that call with your insurance company or um, you know something financially with your bank or with the hospital you know, it's not typical for those types of businesses to solicit that kind of personal um, protected information via email or via text message. It might be a phone call, um, but it would be from, you know, you would be able to research and make sure that that is in fact the business that's soliciting you. One last thing before we go, and that is really just to ask you, um, you know, outside of the things that we've already talked about in terms of verifying who it is that you're talking to, the kinds of information that you ought to be providing, are there any other things that we can do to protect ourselves? Are there any other things that we can do? I mean, I think being vigilant, that's great advice, and, right. and we really need to be. But any other advice when, when we finally do get to a point where we say, I don't know whether this is a legitimate or not, what if you want to try to verify that it actually is a legitimate thing, what, what kind of source resources do you have to go to in order to be able to figure that out? Right. Well, you can always, um, you know, if it's from an, uh, an email, for instance, you can always do research on the domain that it's coming from to see if it's a legit um, business or not. Um, you can also, as far as like personal devices, make sure that they're protected. Um, either with antivirus software. Um, they do a pretty good job of, of uh, scrubbing messages and you know if you inadvertently click on a link they do a pretty good job of making sure that it doesn't go too far where it um, infects your computer. Um, otherwise as far um, and you, and you make a really good point about the, the software, the virus software. On my phone I have some software that I've installed and uh, it will tell me whether or not the phone call that I'm getting is spam. Right. It'll tell me whether the, the text message that I'm getting is, could be uh, phishing or smishing. And uh, I, that's, to me, that's just invaluable because it, it really keeps me out of trouble. Right. Yep. And then that, you know, the other thing is um, I know various sites and 
portals and it seems like we are having a lot more passwords than what we used to a lot more complex passwords for sites and um, you know portals and whatnot um, you know get a password manager and uh, that way um, you're not having you know passwords easily accessible if someone were to get into your computer um, it's just an added layer of security so that you know if that were to happen you know, it would just diminish the risk of how many different things maybe they could get into. Angie, this is a really important, at least in my opinion, this is a really important topic. We want people to be safe, protect their information, whether it's health information, banking information, whatever it might happen to be. And I think mm -hmm. some of the advice you've given us today is invaluable. So thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thanks for your time. I'm Don Lintzman, Executive Director of Marketing and Development at Crawford County Memorial Hospital. We care for life.